We're going to be in John chapter 3, so if you would turn there in your Bibles, John chapter 3. And our text begins today in verse 22. After these things, those things, of course, was the encounter with Nicodemus, that Nicodemus had with Jesus. So it was after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he remained with them and baptized. Now, John, that was John the Baptist, also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. So John was baptizing, Jesus and his disciples were baptizing, and John, the author of this gospel account, tells us, and people were coming out to be baptized. Verse 24, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples, again, John the Baptist's disciples, and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Decrease. He who comes after me is above all. Or is from, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm reading things that aren't there once again. He who comes from above is above all. He is, he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he, and the he here is Jesus, and what he has seen and heard, that he testifies and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony, has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. Note that. We'll come back to that. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Father, we pray. As we always pray, Lord, would you please give us application, Lord. I pray that you'd breathe life into this Bible study today, Lord. Your word is full of life, but I just pray, Lord, the things that I've prepared, I pray that they would that you would uh, help me to make sense of them for the folks, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would be honored even now as we look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There was a time, it's apparent from our text, that John the Baptist, his ministry, and the ministry of Jesus were overlapped. And 
on one hand, you could say, boy, that must have been exciting to have both John the Baptist ministering and Jesus ministering at the same time. Both John the Baptist and his disciples were baptizing, and Jesus and his disciples were baptizing. I doubt that they were side by side doing this, but nonetheless, they were both baptizing. Um, it would be exciting, but I think that it could also create some confusion. So you're the forerunner of him, then why are we still coming to you if you're the one he pointed to and said, he's the one we need to, you know. And so there would be con some confusion there. And of course, John, the author of John's Gospel account, tells us that all of this happened before John was put into prison. Remember that John was put into prison uh, because he dared speak against the norms of the culture. He dared speak about uh, uh, Herod taking his brother Philip's wife as if it was his own wife. And John the Baptist spoke out against that, and of course that cost him his very head. But I want you to uh, kind of look with me at a scripture. I, I, as I was reading, I said, we'll come back to this. And it just jumped out at me this time through, the second time through. Verse 34, for he whom God has sent speak the words of God, for God does not give the spirit by measure. God does not give the spirit by measure. The topic is baptism. In order to baptize, you need water. I was sharing with the first service, and it, it went over like a lead balloon. So, um, but it's all I got, so I'm going to do it again. Uh, but I, I, you know, was reading through and just kind of pondering, you know, John's gospel account. And, and, and let me tell you up front that I'm probably making a big deal out of nothing. I'm probably seeing things that aren't really necessarily there. And we need to be careful of that. We don't want to read into a text. But I just thought it was interesting as you go through John's gospel account that there seems to be this thing that kind of centers around water. You know, um, in all four of the gospel accounts, we see the very first thing that Jesus did, as far as his public ministry was concerned, was his baptism. Remember, he comes out to the Jordan River and, and John baptized him there in the Jordan. And if you would flip over to John chapter 1 in verse 32. It says, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And he, the he there is the Spirit, remained upon him, the him there is Jesus. I did not know him, Jesus, but he... <laughs> the Father who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. So, you know, chapter 1 of John, we see the baptism of Jesus. Of course, that has to do with, with water. Uh, the question I have with that 
is, did Jesus need to be filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit? Guys, when we get to chapter 4 of John's Gospel, chapter 4 presents Jesus in his humanity. Listen, the Bible is clear. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Both are presented in the Gospels. The Gnostics would say, oh no, Jesus was a phantom. He was a spirit. He would walk along the shores of the Galilee and, and there would be 12 sets of, of footprints and, and he would leave no footprints because he was a phantom. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. As we'll see next week, that Jesus became weary from his journey. He was tired. He was thirsty. And he was hungry. So did Jesus need to be Filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit? And the answer? I don't know, but he was. And each gospel account opens with the baptism of Jesus Christ. So chapter 1 of John, the baptism of Jesus. Chapter 2, Jesus turned water into wine. Chapter 3 and verse 5, Jesus said, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit. John chapter 3, verse 23 and they came and were baptized. John chapter 4 and verse 10, Jesus said, and he would have given you living water. John chapter 5, Jesus healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. John chapter 6 and verse 19, Jesus walked on the sea of Galilee. John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus said, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. John chapter 7 and verse 38, Jesus said, He who believes in me, as the Spirit, or I'm sorry, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Chapter 9 of John, chapter 9 and verse 7, the healing of a blind man. Remember what Jesus said to him? Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. John chapter 13, we see Jesus in the upper room. What does he do? He washes his disciples' feet, and he said to them, If I do not wash you, you will have no part with me. I think of John chapter 21. Peter, he's ashamed, he's embarrassed, because he denied that he even knew Jesus, just as Jesus said he would, but he's ashamed. He thought, I'll, I'll never do this. I mean, others might, but I'll never do this. And of course, this is his first now encounter and he's embarrassed. Jesus is there on the shore of the, the Sea of Galilee. And what do we see Peter doing? Peter was preoccupying himself with the, with the Sea of Galilee, with the waters of the Galilee, if you will. Now, you say, Dan, boy, you're really stretching it. Now, now listen, I know that water is water. Uh, it's just water. Water is just water. But there are times in the scripture, and I, and I guess maybe I'm trying to Pique your interest a little bit. There are times in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, where water is used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Um, we know for sure that in John chapter 7, I just read it, where Jesus said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If we didn't have John's commentary on that, we might say, well, what does that mean? What is he speaking about? Well, John gives us the commentary. He said, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because he was not yet glorified. Guys, 
I, as I was looking at this and just considering all the times that we see the, the, the water, you know, reference to water in John's gospel, I was thinking, you know, water does not miraculously turn itself into wine. And water does not make new life in Christ possible, John chapter 3. And water does not satisfy the thirst forever. Remember the woman, she says, give me this water so I don't have to come here and draw water again, John chapter 4. And water does not make lame people walk or healed, John chapter 5. And water is not walked upon as Jesus walked upon the Sea of Galilee, John chapter 6. And water does not wash away blindness. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it did? John chapter 9. Water does not fill with the Holy Spirit, does not fill us with the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit fills us. Guys, you might say, you know, Dan, what's your point? My point is this. We, the church, are experiencing what was promised to the children of Israel long ago. You know, you look at the children of Israel, and it's important to note as you study the scriptures that the Spirit of God was not given to them as the Spirit of God is given to the church. You're not a believer if you don't have the Spirit of God. That's not my opinion. That's Paul's words. If you have not the Spirit, you are not his. But if you're his, if you've placed your faith in him, you have the spirit of the living God dwelling within you. Think of that. Think of how powerful and how wonderful that is, you know, and, and what potential there might be having the spirit of the living God dwelling within you. But of course, when you studied the Old Testament, that wasn't true. That wasn't true of all of Israel. The spirit of God came upon Saul, King Saul, not Paul, New Testament, but Old Testament Saul, the Spirit of God came upon him. The Spirit of God also left him. David, the Spirit of God came upon him as he was anointed to be the future king of Israel. And what did he pray? What did he cry out? O oh Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He wasn't being hyper, you know, melodramatic, he was basing it upon a reality. I know that King Saul had your spirit, and I also know that King Saul, his, your spirit left him, and, and a tormenting spirit came upon him and tormented that man. So we have this unique, beautiful relationship with the Lord. In fact, I was... Um, as we're worshiping, I was trying to remember the verse, and uh, let me see if I could find it here. I, in, in Ephesians, I'll just start reading them, verse 13, chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also trusted, in him, that's Christ, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were, listen, you were, after believing in the gospel, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the Holy Spirit, is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased uh, uh, possession to the praise of his glory. 
the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, well, without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we cannot live the Christian life. So maybe I'm going out on a limb. Maybe I'm reading into the text. I think of Ezekiel 36 verses 25 through 27 where the Lord speaking to the children of Israel he says I will sprinkle clean water on you you wonder well what do you mean by that well he goes on he explains and you shall be clean and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols listen what he says he says I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit not holy spirit a new spirit within you And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Guys, it's not just the water. It's not the water that cleanses. I guess uh, last week, you know, we had a baptism. Those brave people out there. Boy, it was cold and windy and everything. But what a wonderful, you know, thing for those folks. But, of course, water doesn't wash away sins. The baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. The inward reality is, if I've believed in Christ, I have died with Christ. I have been buried with Christ. I have been resurrected with Christ. I now walk and live in newness of life because I have the spirit of the living God within me. And that's what Ezekiel prophesied, or the Lord spoke through Ezekiel, excuse me. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So maybe I'm going out on a limb. Water doesn't always speak of the Holy Spirit, but there are many times that water does speak to the Holy Spirit. So maybe next time you come across that, you might look a little closer and say, hmm, I wonder if this is one of those times. Well, we see that there was a dispute John's still around, Jesus is still around, there's a dispute between not Jesus' disciples and John's disciples, they surely wouldn't have anything to dispute over, but between the Jews and John's, and some of, it doesn't say all of his disciples, but some some of John's disciples, and it was a dispute over purification, and we really don't know what the dispute was over, but as the text goes on, we could gather that there was some sort of um, maybe comparison. Well, John, you know, you're disciples of John and you're baptizing people onto repentance and, uh, you know, your own teacher, your own rabbi pointed and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why should people come out to you? Why should people be baptized by you guys? What do you guys have to offer? The one that you were waiting for, your master was waiting for, he's here. And, and, and you know everyone's going out to him now. And so surely there was this attempt to put Jesus and his disciples in competition with John and his disciples. Now, guys, when it says the Jews, we need to understand because sometimes people will say things. Sometimes Christian people say weird things. Um. They were all Jews. You know this. They were all Jews. (laughs) John was a Jew. His disciples were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. His disciples were Jews. We don't see the Gentiles coming along until we get into the book of Acts. And then we see Peter going 
as he's directed by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel to a Gentile who is a God-fearing man named Cornelius, remember? And then, you know, many refer to uh, that account as the Gentile Pentecost. Because the same thing that happened on Pentecost, when the Spirit of God, the promise of the Father, which is the Spirit of God, came upon them, the same thing happened when Peter was preaching. In fact, it, it seemed like, you know, when you read the account in Acts, it seems like Peter never even got around to giving an altar call before the Spirit of God fell upon them, and they all, you know, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Guys, I said, and I've said it a few times, because the text makes reference to it. Jesus and his disciples were baptizing. John and his disciples were baptizing. But that's not true. Jesus wasn't baptizing anyone. You say, where do you get that? It's wonderful when you don't have to turn anywhere in your Bible. You just need to look over to chapter 4. Look at chapter 4 and verse 2. It says, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. His disciples were baptizing, but Jesus wasn't baptizing. In fact, according to John the Baptist, when Jesus baptizes, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. No waters mentioned. What would you rather be baptized by? <laughs> Water or the Holy Spirit and fire? I know which one. Sometimes, you know, when there's a dispute, there are verbal low blows that are thrown. And I almost imagine these Jews that are debating with some of the disciples of John, maybe saying something like, can't you see that your teacher's following is diminishing? Can't you see that all the people are going out to Jesus now? You're not needed. Look at verse 26 of our text. It says, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, Who were they? The text doesn't tell us who they were. Was it they, John's disciples? Was it they, the Jews who were disputing with John's dis disciples? It's not clear, at least in the New King James Version that I'm reading from, it's not clear. I, I think that probably the way it went down, there was the dispute and as the disciples, some of these disciples of John, as they're hearing these things and maybe they're going back and forth and they're trying to defend. And of course, their understanding is limited, just as the disciples of Jesus were limited. And maybe they're asking questions and presenting arguments and, and they're not quite sure how to, how to answer the question. And they're really on their heels, you know, and, and, and they come back to John and they say, Rabbi, Rabbi, did you know that the one that you testified of, he's now baptizing and all are going out to him. Maybe that's how it went down. You say, does it matter? Well, I think it matters if we, if we want to appreciate maybe the human drama behind all of this. You know, it's a difficult thing. Modern day, you know, church life. It seems like there's a lot of uh, competition in churches, you know. Uh, the steeplechase. Um, I used to listen to this uh, songwriter, singer, back in the 80s. In the 80s, um, 
Did anything good come out of the 80s? Anyway, musically. But in the 80s, um, this guy, kind of this new wave singer, Christian singer, Steve Taylor. And his songs uh, were full of sarcasm. And there was a bite to uh, his songs. Uh, he had one song where he talked about Bob Jones University. And he says, uh, you know, down at Bob Jones University, where of course they had a rule where you could not date people outside of your race at Bob Jones University. And he talked about way down by the Bible Belt. And kind of the, the chorus of the song was, honky if you love the Lord. So, oh, you'd listen to that. Yes, because it's an affront to uh, really what the Bible <laughs> teaches. That there aren't these different, you know, you've got to stay within your, we're all created in God's image. I think we limit ourselves so often. But he had this song, this one song called The Steeplechase. And he says, lukewarm Christians chasing the steeple. What's happening over here? Now we're all shifting over here, over here, over here, over here. And that happens. Of course, that's modern day Christianity. You know, we've been here for a long time. We, uh, my wife and I and our children came up to pioneer this church. That was the purpose for coming to Oak Harbor. It wasn't an afterthought. It was the only reason we were coming here. We were sent out from our church in California. Had no guarantee, you know, church planters have no guarantee that there will be a church in a year or two or longer. Uh, you just go, you believe God's calling you to do something and you see what God's gonna do. And so we've done that, you know, we've been doing this for a long, long time. We've, we've watched our church grow from our living room and our rental, uh, that was right down from Cal Corner. The old timers will remember Cal Corner. I wish that place was still around. I don't know why, it wasn't great, but it was Cal Corner. And it was ours. But uh, we moved out of there into Trader's Village. We moved in two locations in Trader's Village. We moved out of Trader's Village to the gymnasium at the Christian School for five months. And then we moved here and rented this facility for many years bought some property out on the highway, thought we were gonna build, even had a big sign out there, future home of Calvary Chapel, but we were ambitious. <laughs> One thing led to the next, the Lord shut that door and we ended up buying this building. I'm so glad we did. Um, I thought it wouldn't be wise to buy this building because this building is too small. It won't, it won't hold all the people that are going to attend Calvary Chapel Oak Harbor. I had high hopes for Calvary Chapel Oak Harbor, not because I was a pastor, but because the word of God was being taught. And I thought, man, you know, the word, teach it, and they will come. Well, that's not necessarily true <laughs> all the time. I guess it depends on who's teaching it sometimes. Anyway, my point is, is that we've been here for a long time and we've watched a lot of people come and go. We've watched a lot of church plants start up and they seem to go well for a time and then they kind of, you know, moved on, shut the doors and moved on, went someplace else. And we, I'm, I'm one of the old timers now. You know, there were a few old timers that were here for a long, long time. I'd get together with some of those old guys, but since... 
you know, time goes on, they've all retired or dead. They're in heaven, maybe. I hope they're in heaven. No, they're in heaven. <laughs> the point is, sometimes it seems like there's competition when there shouldn't be competition because there's only one true church, and the true church is made up of those who have placed their faith in Christ. It doesn't matter what part of the world you're living in. It doesn't matter what age of the church you happen to be alive in when you received Christ. The church is made up of those who believed in Christ on the day of Pentecost and is made up of all of those true believers until the Lord wraps things up and takes his bride home. And that's the fullness of the church. That's, as the Bible says, the fullness of the Gentiles. No competition. And that's, in essence, what John says here. He says, listen, there's no competition. Everything I have, John says, I've received from the Lord. I, I didn't set out to do this on my own. This wasn't my plan. This wasn't my purpose. This wasn't my goal, to be the forerunner of the Messiah. God chose me. You say, when did God choose you, John? Before I was conceived in my mother's womb. How is that possible? It's only possible because God is the one who did the choosing. John, no competition. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from above or from heaven. I was, uh, I had mentioned to the first service on on. Monday, uh, one of my grandsons, Ethan, came in, and we were cleaning the building, and, um, and I said, uh, Ethan, you know, we need to trim um, some of the oak tree in the back, which is a risky thing because, you know, we have to disguise ourselves when we touch those oak trees. I'm joking, but you know that the church has been on the front page of the Whidbey News Times twice. One was, the caption was, Save Calvary Chapel, because we were going to tear down the building and build an apartment complex. The other one was, no lie, it was the stump of an oak tree that was split in half in the back lot. People would drive by and mourn the old Gary. <laughs> anyway, I don't have any bitterness about that, I believe me. I think priorities are a little mixed up here with some. Anyway, we were going to trim the tree, we were going to clean the building, we were going to do what we needed to do. And I said, well, what do you think we should do first, Ethan? And Ethan said, I, I don't know, Papa, it's your church, do what you want. And I said, buddy, no, 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 it's not my church. It's the Lord's church. And Ethan, he's quick, you know. He's, and he says, if it's the Lord's church, that means that, that God is the CEO. And I said, yeah. And he said, that means you're like management, and you could be replaced. And I said, yes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you know, he was teasing me, and I was teasing him. But the, the point is made, you know, hey, you could, you, we, only, we only have what we received. 
We're not from heaven. We're not from above. We don't speak. I'm from the earth. I, I speak of the things of the earth. I speak from the scriptures. But even then, my understanding is limited. When Jesus came to the earth, he's the only one who is from heaven, who speaks from a heavenly perspective. And we saw this, didn't we, in the beginning of, of John chapter 3. Nicodemus, you must be born again. What? What are you talking about? I don't understand. Because he's thinking like an earthling. And Jesus was speaking of being born of the Spirit. Guys, John would say there's no competition. John would say, I've already said, he who is coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to loose. John chapter 1, verse 27. There's no competition. John did not want people to follow him. You know, we live in a time like no other time in the history of the church where we have Christian celebrities. The, uh, you know, Hillsong, New York City, pastor, boy, what a train wreck. But he's back. He's back. He's coming to a church near you. You know, he's back because he's got the goods. He's got the personality. He's got the dress code. He's got the connections. He's back. And I'll tell you, it's sad that we live in an age where there are some who will choose a church based upon the celebrity in the pulpit rather than what's being taught from that pulpit. And I'll tell you, it's a crying shame when you have, when you have celebrity pastors that are, more, that are more popular, now listen to what I'm saying here because I'm not speaking heresy, that are more popular to the people in that church than Jesus is. I'm not saying they're more popular than Jesus. I'm saying to the people in that church than Jesus is. I was listening this past week, I was listening to an interview uh, with Pastor Chuck Smith. And, you know, I... I, uh, I am so thankful, I am so thankful for my spiritual uh, upbringing. I, I am so thankful. I'm so thankful that um, I am convinced that if I was not in a Calvary Chapel, I probably would not be a pastor. Um, I don't think that I would have the opportunity for that. Um, I'm so thankful for Pastor Chuck. He's steady. I was listening to this interview, and it was shortly after he was diagnosed with lung cancer, and as he was being interviewed, and I was watching him and listening to him, I was thinking, man, Chuck was so sharp. I mean, he was just on his toes. He just, his mind was so sound. And, um, and I was also reminded as I was listening how, how humble Pastor Chuck was. It's interesting because, you know, uh, more people, or a lot of people, make a big deal out of Pastor Chuck that, that Chuck would, you know, say, oh, please don't do that. Don't do that. In fact, I, I remember one time when Chuck did that from someone from this church who went to a pastor's conference with us. 
And the person went up to Pastor Chuck and was just fawning all over him. Oh, Pastor Chuck, oh, I love you. Da, da, da. And he says, please, please, please don't do that. That, that really is awkward. <laughs> it makes me feel really uncomfortable, you know. And it was just kind of a, a, a weird type of thing. But I just think of this man, you know. He was really my example. You know, within Calvary chapels, um, we have a, well, I shouldn't say what we have. We've been splintered. We've been divided. We've been, but for the most part, Calvary chapels have had a servant model for ministry. That the pastor is not the chief. He's not the boss. He's the servant. And in a lot of Calvary chapels, you'll see the pastor that, that serves, you know. I mean, it's not uncommon to see uh, probably more in smaller Calvaries than larger Calvaries, but um, see Calvary pastors cleaning toilets or, or doing projects or whatever needs to be done. You just do it because that's what God's called you to do. You're a servant. But, you know, that was modeled to us by by Chuck Smith. Now, he wasn't saying, now watch me while I do these things. He would just simply do these things. And people would tell stories, you know. You guys all saw the Jesus revolution, you know, and Jesus washing the feet of the disciple or the, um, the, um, the people coming to the church, the hippies. I don't know that Chuck did that. It's interesting. It'd be interesting if he did do that. I do know about the carpet issue, you know, where he said to his board, well, let's rip out the carpet. If you're concerned about the hippies coming in with their bare feet, it'd be better to rip out the carpet because God is obviously bringing the hippies here, so we probably should do everything we can to allow them to come. But I think of the servant he was, even in the interview. Pastor Chuck, who's going to take over the church after you're gone? Oh, the Lord will work that out. We're to be servants. Um, not celebrities. You know, guys, I think sometimes people get frustrated. I want to minister. I want to minister. And I think, man, you want ministry? I'll tell you, ministry is the easiest thing to do. Because ministry is serving. Find something to do. When I was a young Christian, I want to do something, Lord. Went to my pastor. Is there anything I could do? Yeah, if you want to show up early, um, you could set up some of the folding chairs. and Oh, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. You go from folding chairs to teaching a Sunday school class. How did that happen? I don't know. It just kind of happens that way. From a Sunday school class to a home Bible study. From a home Bible study to now you're, you're teaching, you know, those rare times from the pulpit at the church. You're teaching, for me, it was prison ministry, you know. It's almost like the Lord just says, you want to serve? Just serve me and, and let, me, let me direct you. I'll direct your steps. I'll direct you. No competition. Just make yourself available. That's what John did. John, you got to appreciate this guy because, you know, John, 
it wasn't like he knew precisely what was going to happen. Now, you need to be the forerunner. This is what's going to happen. And then, John, you know, you're going to be one of those guys where you're going to put your foot in your mouth and you're going to say something that um, is going to make someone really upset and they're going to remove your head from your body because they don't like what you said. Oh, okay. I don't think John knew that. In fact, I know he didn't know that because when he was in prison, he didn't just simply fold his hands and say, well, I'm, I'm waiting for the sword, you know. No, he said to his disciples, could you, um, could you send a message to Jesus and, and ask him, is he the one? Did I get this right? Did I mess up my mission? Did I point to the wrong one and say, behold, the Lamb of God? They come to Jesus. Jesus says, go back and tell John. The blind see. The deaf can hear. See, that was enough for John. Yep, you're the one. Isaiah gave your job description, Lord, Messiah, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I submit whatever may come. On Wednesday night, we're going through the book of Jeremiah, and on Wednesday night, the two chapters that I have for this coming Wednesday night we're going to see Jeremiah in hot water because he was saying things that people did not want to hear. I, I think that that's timely because we live in an age where people are trying to shut people up when they're saying things they don't want to hear. I don't want to hear that. Shut your... What well, you thought I was going to say something. Shut your website down. Shut your... YouTube channel down. Shut your, you know, shut it down. Shut it down. Shut it down. And we're watching this, guys, all over the world. Nate was showing me some pictures. You know, we support two pastors in India. This church does. And, um, and one of the pastors sent some pictures. And so there's a really small a group of men there, and, and you could see the pastor that we support. I, I won't try to pronounce his name. Nate could do that. It's a very difficult, long name. But, um, but uh, he sent these pictures, and he was just asking for prayer for certain things. And, and I just thought, man, it'd be hard to be a pastor in India. Because they're not just telling you to shut up. They're burning you down. They're shutting you up. And he's like, this is the world in which we live. It's not going to get better. It's going to become more and more difficult. Well, wrapping this up, because I rambled a lot here. You have the spirit of God. You have the spirit of the living God within you. Worship team can come forward, please. Do you know that <laughs> the only limitations 
you have or the limitations you set upon yourself. I think it would be tragic to come to the end of your life as a Christian with this question. Again, as a Christian, with this question. What would it have been like if I would have truly surrendered my life to the Lord? I was thinking when we sang that song, take, take my, take my, you know, the might, take my day, take my, you know. And I was looking at that song, and as we're singing it at the first service, I was thinking about that, and I said, oh, Lord, if only that was true. There's a lot of things we sing and we say that are really hypocritical because we don't really live our lives that way, you know. Lord, take my last might. No, 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 Lord, that, that's my might. I'll keep, keep your mitts off my might. <laughs> that's my might. And, and the fact of the matter is we do that with our life so often. But I, it would be tragic to come to the end of your life and say, what would it be, what would it have been like if I would have just truly surrendered my life to the Lord and said, Lord, use me how you see fit. For your glory, Lord. What might have it have looked like? We don't have to come to the end of our Christian lives with that question. We can live each and every day with that attitude. Lord, my life is yours today. Lord, I've got my job I have to go to. I, I have responsibilities. I'm a husband. I'm a wife. I'm a father. I'm a mother. You know, I have my responsibilities. Obviously, you want me to be faithful to those things. But Lord... My, my life, my life is yours. My life is yours. And then when the, the interruptions come, you know, we might approach them a little bit differently. Well, that's it. But I want to tell you a, a story. I thought it was kind of cute in a weird way. I don't use the word cute that often unless I'm talking about my grandchildren, but... I was down here and I was studying and I, I, I saw a flash go by my office window. And so I could tell that someone was right on the sidewalk there. And so I, I, I looked out the side window and I see this guy, a homeless guy, uh, his pants are, you know, the, I don't know how guys do that, where, you know, it's completely like on your calves or your, not your calves. <laughs> Some of them are on their calves but their thighs, you know. And so he walks by, and his arms are full of these beautiful flowers. <laughs> and so I'm looking at him, why, where, where he got those? And I, so I'm kind of watching him, and he's going around, and all of a sudden, he's kind of, you know, going, cutting down the street, and then all of a sudden, he looks back, and he cuts back toward the church. So I came to the front doors here, and I look out, as he's pulling the flowers out of the flower bed. And he's got them in his arms. And I opened the door. I said, hi. And he said, hi. I said, what you doing? <laughs> and he said, picking flowers. And I said, oh. I said, well, you know, those flowers belong to somebody. And he said, he mumbled something. And he said, should I just lay them down here? And I said, no, why don't you go ahead and take what you have and leave the rest? And he went away. And I thought to myself, 
hopefully he's going to give them to his mom or something like that, you know, and just make her day. And, but we live in such a funny world. We want to we make sure that we value things the way the Lord wants us to value things. We want to be kind to people, right? want to be patient with people. So many people are so messed up in this world we live in. We've got the goods. We've got, you know, the, the answer, the grace of God, the, the gospel message. We have the hope for humanity. And, Lord, would you stand with me? Lord, we just surrender our lives to you. Please, we pray that the song would truly be a prayer, that the song would be a vow, and that um, by the power of your spirit, we would truly just give you our life and say, take it, Lord, use it as you see fit, Lord. Would you help us to be a witness, a light, wherever we are, Lord? Help us, please. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness when we fail, and we do that so often, Lord. Lord, we pray for the salvation of the lost. Please woo them by your spirit. Please save them, Lord. Please fill them with your Holy Spirit and use them and use us. Lord, your word doesn't promise it. Others promise it, but your word doesn't. But I pray that we might be able to see a harvest in these last days in which we live. We pray, Lord, that all the darkness, as, as Mariel was praying, the darkness and really the dreariness that is all around us, we pray that it would be eclipsed by your grace and the hope that comes through faith in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.